Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The stage is set for an exciting conference championship of the National Football League. Nothing circles the wagons quite like it, especially come postseason time. A clash between two old rivals, the 49ers and the Eagles and the NFC, and a clash between new rivals, the Cincinnati Bengals, and to no surprise, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs potentially a little banged up at the quarterback position. We shall see, but excitement for those fan bases, bad blood all around. It's going to be thrilling to see what happens in those contests, which is exactly what the NFL would want for you. Unfortunately for our narrative of this is the year that fans of poor teams, if you will, fans of unlucky teams, if you will, fans of teams that were just, dying to get into a postseason could potentially have made a run. It feels a little like how we want our NCAA tournament to go. You want the upsets. You want the Cinderella stories. But then when the dust settles, a party just wants to have the best teams in the end. And that looks like what we have in the NFC and the AFC. Sorry to the teams that didn't get there. The Jaguars, the Giants, the Cowboys and the Bills. We'll get into all those games. Very exciting scenarios. Maybe some surprises for at least a couple of the losing teams. But I think, Al, the NFL has got to be thrilled with what they have on Sunday, except for, and this is what surprised me, except for the Bills not beating the Bengals. They now don't have their first non-home field advantaged championship game. A neutral site in Georgia, in Atlanta, was on the table. Tickets were already sold. I would have put my house up that the officiating crews and the National Football League, especially with the DeMar Hamlin story to boot, would have done whatever they could to get the Buffalo Bills advancing to play the Chiefs. Joe Burrow and the Bengals said, nay, nay, you better get those refunds ready. It's going to be an exciting time on Sunday, it looks like. And the NFL gets off the hook, first of all. Greetings uh, to all our uh, listeners, uh, our friends out there. We hope you enjoyed uh, the divisional weekend, finals weekend coming up. Um, The NFL got off the hook. The Bengals have nothing else to bitch about. I said before they had nothing else to bitch about because the Bengals pushed very hard for the NFL rules that were in place to remain in place, i.e. in the case of a catastrophic event, which we certainly had uh, you know, with Hamlin's heart attack and the stoppage and eventual cancellation of the game, 
that it would go by winning percentage. So the Bengals kept bitching, even though the ultimate scenario was it wound up they went to Buffalo <laughs> because the Bills had the better winning percentage. Um, played the one less game, had the one less loss. And now, under no circumstances, you know, Kansas City went 14-3. and three. Um, Period, end of story. The best that the Bengals could have gone had the game been replayed was 13-4, and four, so they're going to Kansas City regardless. Uh, so we don't have to worry about bitching about what the NFL did. We can put the Hamlin scenario with respect to how we're going to handle this and the postponement and coin flip and the traveling and how come I have to travel and they don't have to travel and how come I got a coin flip and they need to get a coin flip, et cetera, et cetera. It's all gone now. Most importantly, Hamlin is doing great. He's hopefully on a road to a full recovery. He's home with his family. He's been at the Bills' site uh, with the team, talking to the team. Obviously, it did them no good on the field on Sunday. But most importantly, he's going to be okay. The secondary aspect of it is all that bullshit now is gone. Nobody bitches. Nobody complains about where I got to go, what I had to do. Everything fell into place the way it was supposed to. There's no coin flip. Bengals stayed home. Beat the Ravens. You know, via the 98-yard fumble return, which flipped the game by 14 points. Bitched about the head to go to Buffalo. Went to Buffalo. Kicked Buffalo's ass. Dominated the game. Threw out. Now they go where they were always going to, where everybody was always going to go except for Buffalo. And we don't have to worry about that either. Um, the thing that really surprised me most of all the games and we'll start with Buffalo and Cincinnati, is the fact that Buffalo played so poorly. And I thought they would roll. I thought that he was on their their shoulder. You know, they were playing with the magic dust. They had all the momentum. They had everything going for them. And they were never in the game. Bengals down the fields two straight times, 14 to 7 as close as it ever got. And... They were dominated. The Bills were, were absolutely dominant in both lines of scrimmage. Uh, Allen didn't have time to throw. Burrow had time to throw. They ran the ball down the Bills' throat. The Bills couldn't run it. It was a total domination. It was a shocking game for me. But in retrospect, I should have known better. And maybe we should have known better because the emotion only goes so far. And the bottom line is the Bills really haven't played very well not just from the beginning of the playoffs, but really for the last four or five games of the season through and including the entire playoffs. You know, they struggled for wins, gave up a lot of points. Uh, Allen was doing a lot of Ben Gazzara and, you know, a lot of scrambling and a lot of running for his life. And he was under constant pressure from the Bengals who blitzed some, but got a lot of pressure with four. They couldn't run the ball. The Bills struggled to run the ball. And on the other end, and, and of course, you know, their star receivers bitching now about not getting the ball. Uh, Allen didn't have any magic. None. Zero. Zip. And, you know, cool hand Luke just rolled again. 
Joe Burrow was doing exactly what he did at LSU. He stands in the pocket. He is able to be elusive, not a game breaker, not Lamar Jackson by any stretch of the imagination, not Josh Allen, not Jalen Hurts, but he is able with his athleticism and his sixth sense of feeling pressure and somehow, someway, always seeming to know where it's coming from, turning third and sevens into first down scrambles by a yard or escaping the pressure and finding the open receiver you know, for the first down, whether it's one of his tight ends, one of his fabulous wide receivers, Joe Mixon. Uh, they have a great group of talented, you know, skilled people. Um, the offensive line, which has been obviously an incredible problem, really did a sound job banged up as they were against the Buffalo pass rush, who obviously missed um, you know, their star pass rusher, who was out with the knee, uh, who helped lead the Rams to a Super Bowl win last year, who helped lead your Broncos uh, to a Super Bowl win. The Bills desperately needed pressure on the quarterback. They did not get it. They and they the, the Bengals were creating huge holes and you're know, going four or five, six yards before there was even contact. The Bills were overmatched. And it was a dominant performance by the Bengals. And you know, Joe Burrow now goes to Kansas City again to take on the Chiefs. And yes, I know it's probably over-publicized. And yes, everybody's hyping it. And now, yes, everybody's seeing what I said from the outset as soon as it was scheduled that the winner of this game, when I texted Nick Wright, uh, gets the title of best quarterback in the NFL. And that's not because uh, you know Joe Burrow will have won a Super Bowl now, but it's because Joe Burrow will have gone to one and on his way to a second Super Bowl in three years, the first year he got hurt, and he will have done it at the hands of Patrick Mahomes in Patrick Mahomes' building. Whether that happens remains to be seen. But as much as I hate to give it, the Bengals deserve a ton of credit. Their coach and their staff have done a great job. They've done this, you know, obviously the first game at home against my Ravens, but then on the road in a tough place to play, in the snow, and a game which they thoroughly and completely dominated. Were you as surprised as I was by not just the outcome, but really the outset and ultimate domination that resulted in the outcome? A hundred percent. It was a snow game, which is incredibly exciting for the postseason. Now, obviously, you think in a snow game, well, it's unfortunate that XT might not be able to do Y because of the elements. It'll be a drag out run game. They're not going to be able to throw much. That doesn't seem to be the case now in recent football. I don't know if people have noticed in snow games, they sling it all over the field. It doesn't matter. Now, if it's the case of certain snow games where the snow is up to halfway up your shins, that's a little different story. Even that, throw it around. So I don't think the offenses get as hurt as they did in earlier years where you'd have a snow game and it was like the end of the world. I thought Buffalo was going to take advantage, though, and try to run the football a little bit, and they could not. And you blinked, and the Bengals were up 14 nothing in the first quarter, and you thought, okay, 
Josh Allen. He'll figure it out. 14-7, he does a little quarterback run for a yard. They score, and you think, all right, here we go. It's going to be a close one now. And that was really it for the Bills' offense. I thought they made some stupid decisions on third and short. Allen's throwing it, trying to get it to Gabe when you just needed a couple yards. He wanted it all incomplete. Now you got to punt. On the at near the end of the game, when it's fourth down, you need six yards. He's throwing it into the end zone, trying to score. Just try to get the first down first. Well, kick well yeah, goal. kick the field goal. hundred percent. Gotta take the point. Wouldn't have mattered. One hundred percent. Kick the field. Wouldn't goal. matter, but you gotta take the points there. And Sean McDermott has, <laughs> Sean McDermott has come up small in some big decision making situations over the last few years. Now again. I don't think it would have mattered and amounted to a hill of beans if they kicked the field goal and made it. But you have to take three points there. Right. Twitter under the bridge would not have changed the outcome, but you got to get the points and kick off, you know, do your first downside kick and see what happens. Give yourself the best chance by creating uh, you know, as much time as possible. And um, I just, I, I was stunned when they didn't kick the field goal. What's surprised me over the last couple years is how firm so many different analysts and talking pundits and fans are of these group of quarterbacks, particularly the narrative of Josh Allen, where he stands in the national football league. And it's not even just, I can appreciate all three guys talking about Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow and Josh Allen. And then just kind of look at what they've done stats-wise, wins and losses, which matter the most. I don't know why that sometimes gets forgotten about. And kind of base your argument from there. Like you could say, I'm a fan of Josh Allen, but look at what Joe Burrow has done. He got to the Super Bowl by beating Patrick Mahomes. Josh Allen's most famous game among the trio of these dudes is losing to Patrick Mahomes. They changed the overtime rule for Josh Allen because he didn't get to touch the football in his postseason loss. And then he came out and did that against the Cincinnati Bengals. Thank you. I'm sure the National Football League thought. I'm just not sure why it's so hard-nosed and this is it. Josh Allen's the guy, and I don't want to hear another word about it. He's better than Joe Burrow is. Hold on. <laughs> like, why do people get so excited about this? Because now look what happened when well, Joe Burrow kicked his ass. Now what? I, 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 I think, again, it's the athleticism. Not that Joe Burrow isn't athletic. We just talked about his ability to scramble and get big first downs with his legs. We say like and, Joe Burrow is boring. Is that, is that his problem? Is that he's like a, a quote unquote boring quarterback? Because no, he just he's, is efficient he's, he's, at what he does. He's, he's not going to run. Not, and no, no, he's around. not a boring. He's not a boring quarterback. Here's what you just said. He's efficient. And efficient can be boring, but he's not boring. He's not boring. He's not spectacular. He's not electric. He doesn't make game-breaking play. He doesn't run over linebackers. He doesn't leap tall buildings in a single bound. All right. He doesn't pitch balls underhand, sideways, etc. 
Josh Allen's a wonderfully athletic quarterback who can throw the ball a mile. Now, in his defense, for whatever it's worth, and I'm not too big Josh Allen fanatic. I'm not. You know, I'm a Ravens fan. I also believe he was not 100%. I don't think his arm since the elbow injury has been 100% since the loss to the Jets. And I think you've seen the difference. Uh, He's missed a lot of throws. uh, Hasn't had the same kind of firmness, for lack of a better term, that I could use in the pocket. Hasn't been the same out of the pocket. It's looked a little tentative at times. uh, Made some bad decisions, the likes of which were worse than anything we've ever seen before. Uh, Some of the decision-making against the Dolphins was unfathomable at this stage of his career. So I don't know if he's completely healthy, but you are correct. The bottom line is, uh, right now, Joe Burrow is a better quarterback than Josh Allen, and the proof is in the pudding. He went into Buffalo, and he kicked his ass. He was clearly the superior player, and they were absolutely the superior team. 100%. Not even a contest. Yeah. I mean, you, you, learned, you kept hoping. But th- there was never any notion when you watched that game that it was going to turn around. Cincinnati converted third down after third down. He always had time when he needed it. They ran the ball at will. Buffalo never could really stop them. They had a touchdown called back on a, you know, I understand. I mean, look, when I was a kid, John, that was a touchdown every time. Yeah, there was a little a little bobble after he landed, but you didn't have to land. You got possession two feet in the end zone. That was a touchdown. There was no ground that you had to survive right. because the rule was you are in the end zone now and you possess the football. And once you have possession of the football with feet down, which is a catch, it's a touchdown. Okay, once you possess the football, legally control feet down touchdown you didn't have to fall down and survive the ground and i I still think it's bullshit all right i've never liked the surviving the ground aspect uh anywhere on the field Uh, you can have possession with both feet down before you hit the ground and he clearly had possession, both feet down, and then Milano pushed the ball. There was the bobble, and it was rolling around as he was on the ground. So I understand the call by the book, but it's time to, it's time to rewrite the book. It really is. That was a catch when I was a kid. Uh, it, it wasn't a touchdown when you just stuck the ball over the end zone. You had to get in with it. Uh, you know, just reaching the ball, uh, you know, past the first down marker when, you know, you're out of bounds three yards before you get, that was all the, 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 you know, stopping, keep, keeping the clock running uh, when a guy is uh, pushed out of bounds because his progress may have actually been stopped on the first contact and then he steps out of bounds. They used to stop that clock. That's bullshit too. I mean, a guy gets hit, stood up, 
and immediately is, is out of bounds and they keep the clock running. That's a crock of shit. Um, can't stand when they do that. But that's the way the game has evolved. Don't like it. A lot of things about the way the NFL has evolved that I don't like. But the point is, uh, that was a touchdown that was taken away. It could have easily been a touchdown. They were the better team from the opening kickoff. And it really was never in doubt when you were watching it, even as hard as you're rooting. So I was rooting for Buffalo, of course. And I liked Joe Burrow. But you, know, you wanted to see Buffalo. Once my team was out of it, I wanted to see Buffalo make the run. After what happened with Hamlin, I wanted to see it happen. You know, for the, the Bills Mafia, for the kid, for the organization, wanted to see it happen. And it just was not in the cards. Simple as that. It was not in the cards. It's it's always been interesting for this Joe Burrow run that he's somehow doing it with these Bengals group that it's an under-the-radar type of feel to it. I can understand last season not having the offensive line and him getting killed and, oh, that's the big story is he can't he doesn't have time in the pocket. If he did, he would do this, he would do that. He obviously got hurt his first season, et cetera. I mean, this year they've just kind of just been rolling – but still quietly. It well, was always the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bengals have been an afterthought. Right. And now, well, here we go. There's only one more left. Now what are you going to say? Well, it's just interesting how the narrative goes with it. I don't know why it is as strong as it is. They're never in the same sentence, and I don't know why they're not. I don't think this is going to change. Because, it's, it's because he's not as spectacular as those other two guys. He stands in the pocket and he makes throws. He doesn't make unorthodox throws. He doesn't you know, make no-look throws. Uh, and he's pretty much a guy who is going to do everything he can to get the ball out of his hand. And he'll take a sack without trying to do too much. He'll try and get out and go on his athleticism and his ability to feel pressure. But unlike the other two, Mahomes and Josh Allen, he's not going to try and do too much to avoid it where he makes a bad play, throws a terrible interception, uh, tries to fight off tacklers and gets loose with the ball and gives up a scoop and score. He will take a sack. And the other two guys will do everything in their power, even if it means getting careless with the football, to avoid the sack. And when they do that, sometimes they – pull off some Houdini deals and you don't see Burrow do that nearly as much. And he's also operating off a surgically repaired knee. Remember that. And, and talk all you want about the skill sets of the Kansas city players or the Buffalo players. Burrow has the best group of, uh, skilled offensive players with him in the conference. San Francisco was a close second, but the combination of Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Boyd, the tight end, Hurst, Nixon, uh, the Oklahoma running back, P-line, that's a hell of a group. Right, and, and they don't get talked about. That's what I don't understand. People well, hear Cincinnati. more about like, the Cowboys it's lineup Cincinnati. than they do the Bengals. What are we doing? It's Cincinnati. It's Cincinnati. And, and once they win a Super Bowl, 
they will become the gold standard. But you got to go there and win. They went there last year, and not only didn't they win, they pretty much got shut down by the Rams. Yeah, Their offense didn't do much. When you go there and you do, in the Super Bowl, everything you've done to get there, and remember, to my team's credit, and I don't want to hear this notion of, you know, well, they didn't think they had to score that much because they were playing the Ravens. So, you know, they reined the offense in. Uh, I don't think they expected to have a 98-yard scoop and score uh, to turn the game into you know a seven-point lead from what was to be a seven-point deficit, uh, and then just go, th- you know, we'll just go three and out the rest of the way. I don't think that was the plan of attack. You know, I saw one writer put that up, and I'm like, you got to be shitting me, okay? But you, you got to seal the deal to get the kind of credit you're talking about. You have to go into the Super Bowl. And have that kind of game. Now, why does Josh Allen get that kind of credit? Because Josh Allen went into Kansas City and had a spectacular game in a great shootout against Mahomes and lost in overtime when he didn't get a chance to touch the ball and the game they should have won in regulation. You know, we're kicking off with 13 seconds to go. So that's why Allen gets the enormous credit because of what he did. Burrow hasn't done that yet in the postseason where he's had that kind of game. If he puts up that kind of game in Kansas City this weekend and wins, he vanquishes Josh Allen as it even being a contest. And in my mind, he now becomes the best quarterback in the NFL because he's beaten the best quarterback in the NFL or will have beaten the best quarterback in the NFL in two consecutive championship games in his building and four consecutive times, three of which, three of which would be in Kansas city. Uh, the one this year in the regular season in Cincinnati, I thought the other third one that he had against was also in Kansas city, but you'll have to check me on that. Uh, but that will be four straight times. And you, know, you do that regardless of the ankle injury, you get the nod. And you'll be going to your second Super Bowl, which is as many as Patrick Mahomes has gone to. Yeah. The question is, can you can you win one like Patrick Mahomes has done, who hasn't played that great in either of his Super Bowls? It's an apples and oranges thing to compare NFL fans to college football fans because they don't necessarily always care about one or the other. If you're a college football fan, you might not give a shit about the NFL and vice versa. But just seeing what Joe Burrow did with LSU – how historic that season was, how much swag he kind of had toward the end of it, you know, smoking the he's cigar the in the locker room. He's, I was just surprised that that didn't carry so cool. into the NFL. Yeah, I mean, it didn't seemingly carry over into his pro career. I don't know if it's because well, he got it, hurt it, it, and he kind of went would. away for a while, but we didn't it's see Patrick Mahomes play it's at Texas since, Tech. We didn't see Josh Allen play at Wyoming. Nobody's watching them play college football, but they got this huge following now. It's Cincinnati, the cheapest franchise, Paul Brown's son, all right, notorious tightwad, never won a Super Bowl, been to to three, 0 for three now, never won one, not a storied franchise, not a storied city, not a big market. You know, if he's in New York doing that with the Jets, come on. The Giants quarterback gets more publicity than Joe Burrow. Yeah, you're right. Going 9-7-1. If he's in L.A., 
And come on, he's in Cincinnati. If he's in Cleveland, he gets more publicity. Deshaun Watson's got more publicity than Joe Burrow. <laughs> for being traded, for, for sitting out a year and a half yeah. and, and, and getting $250 million guaranteed. But look, I, and we discussed it on the show. The LSU team that Joe Burrow was the quarterback of was not the greatest college football team I've ever seen. It certainly was one of a handful. I've said this before, 1972 USC team. I won't run down the names, but undefeated, national title. Yes, I'll run down the names. Anthony Davis, Sam Bam Cunningham, Thin Swan, okay? Uh, Charlie Young, the best college tight end I ever saw. Great offensive lineman, great defensive players. You know, Richard Bat, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Artemis Parker, Skip Thomas, Charles Phillips, who were all NFL defensive backs. Um, the best college football team I ever saw. John McKay, the coach. Undefeated, untied, unbelievable national champs. Demolished everyone. Go check the numbers, folks. Look in the books. Check the, check the, check the scores. Um, but, but the team that I thought had the greatest year I've ever seen was the LSU Tigers, Joe Burrow's senior year. And I thought he had the greatest year of any college quarterback I've ever watched in my life. Again, different rules, different era, but what he did was phenomenal against the best competition in the country. Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He had the best possible year against the best possible competition in the best conference. And then obviously they went and kicked Clemson's ass in the national title game. It was historic. It was brilliant. And that will live to me as the greatest single season I've ever seen any team have, even they weren't the best team I've ever seen. But close, they were close, damn close to it. And you know, Jamar Chase was Justin Jefferson – and he said, as we've talked about, they wanted to draft a big offensive lineman from Oregon. And he went to management and basically told them, draft my guy. And they drafted his guy. And the rest is history. He and Jamar Chase are the best quarterback receiver combination in the National Football League, bar none. Everyone else is fighting for second. Yes, we love Justin Jefferson, but, you know, Kirk Cousins is throwing to Yes, we love the Miami receivers, Jalen Waddell and Hill, but two is throwing to them. Uh, obviously, the best quarterback going into this Sunday in all the football is still the magician, okay, Mahomes magic. And he's throwing to his tight end, and now Hill is gone. Um, he's still got good wide receivers, but they're not dynamic. He's got the great tight end. The best quarterback receiver combination in all of football is Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase. He's a great receiver. He gets open. He makes big catches. He makes contested catches, whether it's for five yards, 15 yards, 
45 yards. And when he catches it, he is a load to bring down. And it's not just outrunning people. It's not just dancing around people. It's he he if he needs to run over a guy, he'll run over a guy. If he needs to drag two guys with him for three yards to get a first down, he'll drag. He's a, an unbelievable player. Unbelievable. Tremendous player. And T. Higgins is very, very good. I'd kill to have T. Higgins on the Ravens. Makes contested catches, long, excellent hands. The Ravens drafted Hunter Hurst. They had him as one of their tight ends. He was basically, you know, I don't want to say a cap casualty, but he wasn't a great blocker, so so they traded him. Um, Boyd is another terrific receiver. They're the third wide receiver. So they are loaded as the day is long. Joe Mixon is a top five back. He's an every down back. He can run it. He can catch it. He can block, pick up the blitz. And again, he will put his head down and run over guys. And then they got Beeline, who is spells mixing, and he does all that stuff. Runs in between the tackles. He's a wonderful receiver. They have a great skill group, the best in the conference, rivaled only by the 49ers. I think better than the 49ers uh, because I like the receivers as much as I like the 49ers receivers. I like this group better, and uh, I actually think this pair of running backs have a slight nod over McCaffrey and uh, the rest of the Niner crew, but it's close. But they've got Joe Mixon, and they're working with Brock Purdy. So I I just think it's all because it's Cincinnati. Simple as that. Remember, it took New England a while to become New England. But still, it was, you know, New England, Boston area, right? Major market. But eventually, they became the New England Patriots. And they didn't have spectacular players. They had the great tight end duo. Obviously, Tom Brady, who became better and better and better until he ultimately evolved one of the greatest, not the greatest quarterback of all time. They never had spectacular wide receivers except for the stretch when they had Randy Moss. These guys are spectacular players. Spectacular. But they are mired in, you know, in the Midwest. They are stuck in Cincinnati. And if they win a Super Bowl, they will be the gold standard by which all others are judged. Right now, in my mind, they are the gold standard of skill set. Their defense is strong. It's playing well. Secondary is playing very well. They hit hard. They don't miss a lot of tackles. And that maligned offensive line did an incredible job against the Bills, both in protecting the quarterback and opening holes for uh, for the running game. So I think they're the team to beat. I expect them to go into Kansas City and win this game. There's the pick I was looking for. Can they do it? With or without a hobbled Patrick Mahomes, who was at his press conference earlier in the week, seemingly walking okay, doing some jogs and run-throughs of practice, and looking okay to what reporters have had to report about it. Well, let's talk about them. What I found humorous was when Mahomes goes down, his ankle looks bad, he's got to come out of the game. Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth 
start acting like we just watched him get shot on the field and it's, it's over. He's gotten sunk into the ground, like a scene out of one of the Batman movies. And we'll never see from Patrick Mahomes. Again, the chiefs are done. They can't even play with a quarterback the rest of the game. They have to just leave the position open and figure out a way to snap the football. This is Jacksonville's game. Oh no, for the chiefs. Well, Chad Henney comes in, leads them to a field goal, then he leads them on a 98-yard drive for a touchdown. It's 17-7. to So much for the world ending that Patrick Mahomes was out of the game. I didn't panic as much as Chris Collinsworth and Mike Tirico did because of Andy Reid standing on the sideline, although there was a little bit more fear because Doug Peterson was standing on the other sideline. I thought the Jaguars could have taken this game. Agreed. Now, the score will tell you differently because they scored real late. But Trevor Lawrence didn't play great, man. And Travis Etienne disappeared. What happened? They were showing flashes at some points. You know, Etienne scores a touchdown. And okay, hand him the ball. This is the way. I didn't think either of them played great. And that really killed them because the game was there. Now, you play the results, of course, and the Chiefs had a lead, and I, I don't think they were going to be trying to get too crazy, but it's 20 to 17 at the fourth quarter. It's there, the game. You have one bounce go your way. I thought it was there for the taking, and I obviously know Patrick Mahomes missed the portions of the game that he did. I was expecting him to go in and get horse tranquilizered up in the locker room. And sure enough, out he comes for the second half. God knows what they have in those Barney bags in the trainer's room, but there was no doubt he was coming back into the game. I think it was just a matter of he had to wait till halftime just to get to the locker room and take whatever he needed to take. They didn't have it in the blue tent. So obviously the injury played something for it. They couldn't do as much as they wanted to offensively, maybe. I thought the game was there for the taking. I'm sure the Jaguars are disappointed. They have to be. Because it was kind of boring. Like, the Chiefs were boring, if that makes sense. They were, there wasn't, I, thought it would be a, I thought it would be a higher scoring yeah, game. Yeah, they were kind of boring. Which is fine. They both, won, of course, but... Uh. I thought both teams would score more. And, you know, I, my prediction was they'd come in the back door. I, differently than they actually did it. They did give the back door cover. But when... The Jags off of the tremendous Trevor Lawrence scramble on third and long where he looked like he was going to get crushed just inside the 10-yard line, put his head down and took the big hit and battled and showed incredible guts and got the first down and they had first and goal for the nine. I thought they were going to win the game. Right there. I thought that was the play. I thought that was going to be the signature play. Then he throws on the next play from scrimmage, the little pass out in the flat to Agnew, who was uh, probably still mad at himself because he didn't return the kickoff for a touchdown. And just tries to go too fast before he even gets hit. And coughs up the ball, which I wish I could have seen a few more times because I actually still am not convinced it was a fumble. 
I don't know if he ever really had true control of that ball. Uh, and basically the game is over there. But as I texted to you and Nick, right? And asked anybody else who would listen during and after the game, as you mentioned earlier, where did Travis Etienne go? What I mean, did suddenly he was in witness protection. We didn't see or read anything about him being hurt. He was running the ball well. He was catching it. He had just scored a touchdown. He was giving the Kansas City defense fits. And we saw him on the bench with the cape on. For the, after he scored the touchdown, he was never to be heard from again. I was like, he's, he's the best. Him and Christian Kirk are the best players. And Christian Kirk's out there after he got hurt. Came back in the game. You're telling me you prefer Agnew as your fourth your your fourth quarter go to guy? I, I have you seen anything or read anything still as to what happened to Travis Etienne? No. It, it, it's the strangest, it's confounding. He was playing terrific, averaging five yards a crack. Catching it, running for first downs, running for touchdowns, and he's he's <laughs> now he's him. Literally now you don't. Couldn't believe it. Could not believe it. And you know, if that's him out there, maybe it's a touchdown, but you know, hopefully not a fumble. Um, but you know, once the fumble happens, yes, they got the field goal, uh, onside kick. But you know, once the fumble happened, that was pretty much all she wrote. Yeah. I really thought the way they were going and the way the defense was playing, they get the touchdown there. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. Just, uh, I, I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. And an unforced error. Kid wasn't even hit. Terrible play. Yep. And that's what you go home on. Uh, but I really thought that uh, the Jags uh, had a hell of a season. He looks like he's going to be a heck of a quarterback. It looks like he's going to live up to expectations. He's got the right coach. Um, they're just going to get better as time goes on. And that division is, you know, there's no great team for them to compete with. I'm sure the Titans will be back and be in the mix. Uh, the Colts, they've got a lot of talent, but they're definitely going to need a quarterback that's probably going to draft, and they're searching for a coach. And we know Houston is, uh, even though they compete, is a, a work in progress. So that division is going to be, I'm not going to say they're going to rule it, but it's going to be winnable for them for years to come. Which is exciting to see, especially Again, another college story where we watched him be so successful for so many seasons, get into the NFL and not do anything his first year. Who's to blame? Is it him? Is it his coach? What's the problem? Is it because it's the Jaguars? So it was nice to see him kind of reinvent himself, if you will, despite it only being his second year, to put together a season where you say to yourself, all right, that's what we saw in college. It's nice that he's able to take that over to the NFL and they'll learn from this obviously. And Doug Peterson's got to feel great of the team that he's got. They need to plug and play a couple different places, obviously, but you got to be 
incredibly happy if you're a Jaguars fan, especially to keep a game like that close. The offense for Kansas City just seemed to be the game plan of throw it to Travis Kelsey and let's see what happens. 14 receptions, two touchdowns, 98 yards. He was the guy for both quarterbacks. You can understand it with Chad Henne. I mean, let me get it to the most sure-hand dude who's just running these seven-yard straight, straight everythings. Turn around, catch it. That's it. Let's play football. I'm assuming Cincinnati's going to try to take that away. Easier said than done since the entire National Football League's been trying to take away Travis Kelsey for six, seven seasons now, and it hasn't really worked out too well for them. But I don't think Kansas City can Still, just have the offense of let's throw it to Travis Kelsey for seven-yard throws every every. I, I agree. That's not going to win this game. And you know, I still can't figure out for the life of me. And again, it's the one game I didn't play at the organized level. Uh, but you know, for all the nuances and the cover twos and the scheme defenses, you know, nobody can cover this guy. Right. I, I've never understood the logic of you know, well he's a safety you can't expect him to cover a tight end but well, wait a second he's a defensive back isn't he Aren't what isn't that what they're supposed to do they're past defenders how is it you know the athletic 6 200 pound safety can't cover the six foot five inch 230 pound tight end i understand he's bigger but you can't get to the same place he is at the same time you you can't cover you know what happened to you're an all-world defensive back. He's their best receiver. You cover him. You cover him all over the field. Yeah. I don't care where he goes. You're on him like flypaper. Period. End of story. I don't want. To, not only isn't he covered. How does he get the ball? And he's a genius. I understand the schemes, the motion. How does the guy who catches a gazillion balls a year? How does he catch so many many of them and then run for 20 yards before we see anybody in the picture? What, what am I missing? How do you lose a guy who's that big? No matter how long Patrick Mahomes is running around and doing Mahomes magic, how do you lo- lose a guy who's six foot five and 240 pounds? Does, does he become invisible where nobody can find him? How does that happen? You, Mr. Safety. Cover him wherever he goes. Cover him wherever he goes. Well, we got the run. Cover him wherever. You you can leave him alone after you know the ball's being run. Cover him wherever he goes. Wherever he goes. Everywhere. If it tires you out, here's the deal. When he's not in the game, you can leave the game. When he's out of the game, come sit down and rest. You're going to guard him like we're playing hoops. All over the court. We're not switching we're not passing them off to somebody else. You're covering them. We may be giving some help, but he's never going to be on the TV screen where we don't see you. That's the way we're going to do it. But nobody does that. And I can't figure out why. Well, you can't do it. Why can't you do that? Well, you got to support the run. I don't give a shit about the run. Kansas City can run the ball all they want. Right. They're not beating me running the ball. And they look good running the ball. The running back, the seventh round pick they got, he runs hard. You want to know what? I'm saying to Kansas City, run all you want. I'll tackle you. Go 80 yards, run the ball. Travis Kelsey isn't scoring. He's not catching any touchdown passes. You want to throw to Juju Smith-Schuster, throw to him. You want to throw to McCall Hardman, throw to him. 
I'm taking him away. Beat me with somebody else. Hill's not there anymore. Beat me with somebody else. There's never the replay of, like you say, Juju Smith-Schuster, wide open 30 yards down the field, and then they cut the camera back and go, well, you can understand it. Jacksonville had four defenders on Travis Kelsey this play. And you'd say, okay, he just got three passes in a row. I get it. You know, we know this more. I didn't play football either. We know this from playing basketball or baseball, specifically, though, basketball. Somebody hits a couple shots in a row. Somebody's got to step up and say, this dude's not scoring again. That's enough. We're going to triple team him, quadruple team him. Somebody else got to do something. Get the ball out of his hand. I know in football it's not easy to do that, but come on. I'm so tired of hearing the soft spot in the zone. The soft spot in the zone. The soft spot in the zone. He goes down. He runs eight yards. He turns around, catches the ball. Change the spot. How about about a helmet into his back? Time it up. How about cutting him off? How about being in front of him? How about having a guy in front of him, a guy behind him? All right. How about chucking with the line of scrimmage? It's just, yeah, there he is. 87. Yeah, that guy. See the guy with nobody on him? That's why I'm going to throw the ball. Again. And again, and again, and again, always wide open in the end zone. Always wide open. Five-yard line, who do you think he threw the ball to? All right. Somehow he gets lost in the scramble. How do you lose the guy that big? Oh, there he is. Nobody on him. Let me throw it to him. <sighs> yeah. He's he taking catches. it at running back. He's running in motion. He's on the line. Just get two people to follow him wherever he goes. Yeah. How does he manage to catch three touchdown passes for a total of 15 yards? And wide open on all of them. You know who led the league in receptions this year, Al? Your guy, Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, former chief. Travis Kelsey was third. 110 receptions, 1,710 yards, seven touchdowns. Put a hand up. Probably, Probably ran 500 yards after the catch without being touched. Put a hand up, man. And even that, all that said, I don't think they'll be able to do that against the Bengals. But what's to stop them after what we've seen for years in I said every this, game? I said this about Buffalo, and I thought it was one of the reasons they'd win the game is I thought with the offensive line struggles that they would put a lot of pressure on Burrow, and they did not. Now, Kansas City, with their front four, and they're young linebackers and they're young secondary like the blitz a lot. And you know, they've got the legendary defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnola. Again, the key will be protecting Joe Burrow. If they protect Burrow, I think this game will be a route. I think the only way this game stays close is if Kansas City is able to put a lot of pressure on Burrow. And remember, Cincinnati ran the ball very well against Buffalo. And Jacksonville ran it pretty well against Kansas City. So I think they're going to try and establish the run. I think they're going to be pumped up. Uh, I think Kansas City is ripe. We'll see. I thought Buffalo was going to roll Cincinnati. So, Yeah. Who knows, as who knows, as we always knows. say, take our advice with a grain of salt. The NFC we go. Um, no real reason to discuss. Uh 
the Philly Giant game. We both thought they were that one. We got right. <laughs> they did. Uh, the Giants turned into a pumpkin. Yeah. Uh, the the discussion of Daniel Jones, you know, getting forty million a year has probably been put on hold. Yeah. I had him three and ninety. Uh, he returned to form and folded under the pressure. Uh, no knock on the kid. He had a wonderful year. Great first game against Minnesota, but just dominated and never a contest. And again, not that it would have made a difference, but early on, and we love the coach. He's the coach of the year. Down seven, nothing. Fourth and eight at the 40 or thereabouts, 42, 43 of Philly. What are you doing going for it? Yeah. I understand you want to be aggressive, but it's not fourth and two. It's fourth and eight. They just went down the field and punt the ball. Punt the ball. Fourth and eight, pressure, no no conversion. Boom, Philly ball, 14-0, game over. Would it have made a difference? Probably not. But I, for all we've said about Brian Dable, I, I thought that was a very questionable coaching decision to go for it there, but they were thoroughly dominated. Um, you know, Philly's offensive line like Cincinnati's did a fabulous job. They ran for you know a mile and a half holes is everywhere. They ran everywhere they wanted to run every running back on the Eagles had room to run. And then when there was contact, they were breaking tackles. They were running hard. It was you know, a, a Philly night, no contest. And now they get to stay at home. And I really believe the biggest advantage in the NFL is now that there's only one bye, that's a big advantage. I think it really helped Philly to have that rest, have everybody healthy, get Jason, Jalen Hurts a little healthier. He's still not 100%. But they were ready, raring to go. They were a dominant team on both sides of the ball. They stay home. San Francisco comes in. Your thoughts on Niners, Cowboys? I've said it on this show since we started doing it, and I've been saying it before that, that nothing good will come to the Dallas Cowboys while Jerry Jones is alive. And I use the word alive because I don't think he'll sell the team before he dies. I just think he's going to do this until he literally takes his last breath. And that'll be it for his tenure in Dallas and whoever his children are that gets subjected to having the team will take over, et cetera. It's just another year as a Dallas Cowboys fan. They don't show up in the postseason. The guys that they put all their faith in and all their money toward came up short. Dak Prescott is a good quarterback and that ends the sentence. It's okay to just be a good quarterback. You don't have to be a great quarterback or a future Hall of Famer. Not everyone will be. He was a great quarterback in college. He's a good quarterback now. That's all right. But just accept that that's what you got, and you're going to have to put some help around. Tony Pollard getting hurt, devastating for their running game. I don't know what's happened to Ezekiel Elliott, but he is not the same Ezekiel Elliott as five years ago. Not even close. Not even close anymore. Shadow. So you can't rely on him for your running attack and your wide receiving core doesn't have a ton of depth to it. And now you got to put the hands of your team in Dak Prescott's arm. Two interceptions, brutal ones. 
And the story of the game for who Dallas is, is what happened at the end. They get the ball back. They're down seven. There's really no chance that they'll be able to put a drive together, but let's see what they do. They try doing a couple short passes. Dalton Schultz catches one, doesn't run out of bounds, which goes back to your earlier statement, how stupid the rule is because he was going out of bounds. He just didn't do it, I guess, fervently enough, not with enough enthusiasm or energy. So they keep running the clock there, which pretty much killed everything. They throw it to him again. He nonchalantly catches it at the sideline, doesn't drag his foot. That call gets brought back. And then we get one of the most preposterous formations that you'll ever see to end the game. I'm sure they drew this up at practice. And when you do the X's and O's and the lines on the iPad, it could work if X, Y, and Z happen but they put Ezekiel Elliott as the center. They've got the O-line as wide receivers to the right. They've got wide receivers and tight ends to the left. And you're looking around like, what the hell are they doing? Are they waiting for the 49ers to call timeout so they could get out of this thing? This is like the Pat McAfee fake punt with the Colts. Don't snap it. Oh, no. They snap it. Zeke gets crucified. No surprise. This isn't a five-second count like flag football, the linemen are still going to come after you. And then who's Zach? Dak throws it to? Turpin. Doesn't have any opportunity to lateral it or look for somebody. As soon as he catches it, he gets murdered. Tackled. Perfect form. Down he goes. The game's over. What are we watching? And that summarized the game. This is who the Cowboys are. I don't know why people think differently. I would have loved to have seen what was supposed to happen, at least a little bit. Yeah. Can we get a practice tape footage or something from someone to just give us an idea of what they're trying to do? Is it supposed to get thrown on that side? What happens? Where was it going to go after that? Look, again, we've talked about this. I disagree with you uh, to the extent that it's they're never going to win as long as Jerry Jones is alive. I will go so far as to say they're never going to win Super Bowls as long as Dak Dak Prescott's the quarterback. Uh, Dak Prescott is, in the words of Dennis Green, he is what he thought we was. But he is what we thought he was. Dak Prescott was a fourth round draft pick from Mississippi State. Not an incredibly highly recruited, recruited, decorated college player, but a good player in the SEC. And he is a good NFL quarterback. He is, because he's the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, the most overrated player in the NFL. Jalen Hurts, meanwhile, was a highly recruited college player, played at a great program, was the starting quarterback, lost his job in the second half of the national championship game, which Tua took over and ran around like a chicken with his head cut off and won the national title. So Jalen Hurts is a national champion and then lost his job the next year and great player and leader that he and teammate that he is stood by and did everything he could to support Tua. And when Tua got hurt and wasn't very good, he came in and saved their bacon. Uh, uh, 
in the SEC title game. And then after that win and the season coming to an end, he transferred to Oklahoma and played under the quarterback whisperer and was a finalist for the Heisman Trophy, went to New York, had a huge year, and was a surprising second-round draft pick of the Eagles because people thought he couldn't throw because he wasn't a prolific thrower at Alabama, and even though he threw for a ton of yards and put up a ton of points and was a Heisman finalist at Oklahoma, they thought he was a vehicle of Lincoln Riley and that offense and was not an NFL-caliber quarterback. Well, guess what? He is exactly who we thought he was in college, the better player at the better school than Dak Prescott, and now the better player on the better team in the NFL. Is he a great quarterback? Don't know yet. Is he a prolific stand-in-the-pocket Fire the ball over the field? No, absolutely not. He's a smart quarterback. He's an athletic quarterback. He throws well. He's still very young. This is his baptism of fire in the biggest of games uh, for the NFC Championship. He was awful last year in his first go-round in Tampa. Got his head handed to him. Got his experience of getting the shit kicked out of him. And the team destroyed by Tampa. And this year, the tables turned. They had a great year. He got hurt down the stretch. He's not 100%. But the team is. He looked terrific uh, against mediocre competition, the Giants. How will he play now against a terrific defense at home with all his weapons? A.J. Brown's bitch and doesn't get the ball. So look for the ball to go to A.J. Brown a lot. They ran for a gazillion yards against the Giants. Isn't that good enough for A.J. Brown? A.J. Brown, he's bitching on the sidelines. He wants to walk. Can you shut up, please? Can you shut up? Oh, you'll the have to understand. Ball. I'm a wide receiver. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, well, we're running the ball for 300 yards. So you and nobody else is getting the ball out. Yeah. Throw a block. You know, it's about winning championships. And this was the first step. And on that first step, it just so happens... We didn't have to throw the ball at all. And when we did throw it a little bit, nobody was really that involved, were they? So how about you just stop pitching? And, you know, would you like to go back to Tennessee? How are they doing? Would you like to play with Tannehill? How are they doing? Right. Shut the fuck up and do your job. And don't bitch. Play. Play. Now... San Francisco comes to Colin with their, mm, how should we classify the former Iowa State Mr. Irrelevant? Mr. Irrelevant is is good. Backup, second (laughs) string, third string, whatever the case may be, Brock Purdy. And their coaching guru, their genius flyboy of a coach, and their great defense, and their great skill set of Samuel of McCaffrey, of the big tight ends, Big George, of uh, a group that can really do just about anything. They break a ton of tackles. The wide receivers are great after the catch. Uh, Big George is 
terrific. He makes all the plays. He's a great blocker. He's a great pass catcher. He's great after the catch. So they have the total package from the skill set scenario like Cincinnati, except they are running it out there with Mr. Irrelevant, a guy who was picked in the seventh round, Brock Purdy, from your conference. And uh, Jimmy Garoppolo may be ready as a backup. And they have to come in with this backup quarterback and take on this Philly defense, great pass rush, excellent linebackers, good secondary. So then the question becomes, are they going to be in a position to facilitate an offense in this building against this defense with this quarterback having to take on not just the defense, but this crowd? A lot of people think San Francisco is the best team. I don't. Part of it's the quarterback scenario. And as I've said before, with San Francisco, if they want to run the ball and they like to run the ball, I'm going to let them run the ball. Run the ball. Run the ball. You're not going to beat me running for 250 yards. They didn't run the ball that well against Dallas. Down the stretch, a tired Dallas defense wore out, and they finally were effective running the football. Their offense did next to nothing against a very, very good Dallas defense, and uh, they're running up against another very, very good defense in the Eagles. I like the Eagles in this game. I think the best two teams right now are the Eagles and the Bengals. I think it's the Eagles game to lose. I think as long as Jalen Hurts has a solid game, but not a sloppy game, Eagles are going to win this game. I like the Eagles in this game 24 to 13. Spread is two and a half, and as we know, home field generally warrants three points just to show how closely contested Vegas thinks this will be. I'd have to agree with them. I think you couldn't have scripted a better game for the NFC Championship for this season. It seems like we're waiting as a collective for one or both of these quarterbacks at different points of the season, like, well, when's the magic going to run out? Jalen Hurts isn't this good, is he? This can't keep going like this. And Brock Purdy, it's been every week. Well, he hasn't faced a this. He hasn't played against that. He hasn't been in this situation. And he's checked every box every game. Now this one is okay. Now go to the best NFC team's building against that defense, against that running attack, against that quarterback against that fan base. Let's see what you got now, Brock. It's funny that he's got a Nick Foles-esque type run going to him, isn't it? Having to now go to Philly. They know all too well what that feeling's like. Maybe the 49ers have that sort of magic. I would lean with you because of the experience that the Eagles now have with Sirianni being there to have enough games under his belt with this offense where he's not going to be terrified. Now, here's what I don't want to say. You know, the, the cocky son of a bitch with the big lead who lines up to go for two to try and draw the Giants offside yeah. to move the ball to the one-yard line and then go for two. 
And when he doesn't do it, obviously goes back and kicks the extra point. What was the purpose? Yelling on the sideline. I know what I'm fucking doing. I know, I, I know what I'm fucking all doing. Right, dude. What, you what, don't what, have to what, go what, all Philly on us. Settle down. Why are you, first of all, why are you showing that? Right. Why are you showing that to why the then? world? If you ever want to do that. Well, why are you showing it now? Right. We might line up to go for two. See if we can draw you outsides. Get at the one yard line and then actually go for two. Because their timeout uh, is going away at halftime. So you can't take I, it with you, I guess, is their thinking. But as I think the biggest thing is, as you said, why not save that for a bigger moment? Not just what turned into somewhat of an exhibition at that point. Well, I, I, and I thought it was a Bush and exhibitionist move. Yeah, it is. I thought it was a classless move. I thought it was a show the other team up move. And I thought it was bullshit. And if I was Dable, I would have been pissed. But, you know, they're big boys. It's the pros. Uh, this isn't high school. This isn't college. I just thought it was Bush League. Didn't like it. Lost a little respect for them there. But they play hard. They're physical. I think I, I think their defense is going to give Brock Purdy some problems. That remains to be seen. I could be dead wrong. Uh Everybody loves this coach. They think he's a genius. I want his passing coordinator as my offensive coordinator, for sure. Uh, I want a prediction from you on this game. I'm going to take the Eagles in a lower scoring affair overall. So take the under, folks, which is 46. I will say... 24-13. That's what I said. Yep. Yep. So we both like the Eagles to cover and under. Which, I mean, now, since that happened, please, everyone, do yourself a favor. Hammer the over. Take the over team totals while you're at that. Because this what is, is going to be a shootout now. What is the number? What is the current number as we speak? It's two three, and a half. Three and a half. Two and a half. Three and a half. Two and a half. Two and a half. And the Kansas City line, which opened at two and a and half in moved? favor of Kansas City, went all the way down to KC plus two and a half. I think it's now gone back to one and a pick em at some places because of the news that Patrick Mahomes seemingly is going to be not 100%, but not in the state that he was last week. And that's going to bring that number down also. So I'm going to guess the under over is... 45 and a half. 47 and a half currently. Okay. And I that am, could obviously change as the as we got a couple of days here. But and, and, your, and your selection is? I already have money on the Bengals plus two and a half. Took it as soon as it came out. And the score? 28-21. 30 to 20. Bengals. Should have given myself a field goal. That's that's my bad. McPherson's gonna. So be I'm 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 going over. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think that Jamar Chase is going to have a big game. Yeah. He's a load for them to cover. He's going to be a load for them to cover. Uh, and I think Joe B does it again. I'm very curious which one of these. It's it's really curious. In both of these games, which team in each game is going to be able to run the football? 
against uh, three very stout run defenses in Philly, KC, and Cincinnati. Now, the Ravens ran the football pretty well against Cincinnati. Bills couldn't. Uh, Jags ran the football pretty well against Kansas City. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, the uh, Ravens ran the ball pretty well against Cincinnati. Bills couldn't. The Jags ran the ball pretty darn well against Kansas City. Kansas City ran well against the Jags. Will Kansas City be able to run it against Cincinnati, and how important will that be? Are they going to look to do that because of the ankle more than normal? Yeah. I think they will, and I think that's going to be one of the keys, along with obviously making sure Travis Kelsey doesn't catch 27 passes. Uh, for uh, for four touchdowns. Well, and you, you'd think one team is bound to make a couple mistakes. I don't remember if the Niners, the Bengals, the Eagles had any turnovers. I don't remember about the Chiefs. I don't think they did either. No fumbles, no picks. Everybody plays clean, all four teams. That's how you win. Who's going to make that's that first you, mistake? Is that's how you win. And if That's the other team win. can take advantage of it, too. That's how you win. Uh, I don't think that the kicking game will be that important. Uh, the kickers here are all... Robbie Gold still hasn't missed a uh, postseason field goal in his career. Pretty astounding. Crazy. The rest of the kickers are pretty reliable, although Harrison Butker at times uh, has come up small. But in the biggest of moments, pretty much... Uh, he's made a lot of clutch field goals for them, but he's also missed extra points. Uh, so let's keep an eye on that. Uh, all right, so we are both going Bengals to win outright, obviously covering win outright, and we're both picking the Eagles the same exact score, 24-13. Yeah. Feels gross based on our track record and history, but that's what we got, folks. We're not always wrong, just sometimes. That is something to remember. We're not always wrong. Right. We don't brag about being always right. We simply say we're not always <laughs> wrong. And that's the best we're going with, gang. It's as simple as that. Uh, we would be remiss as Laker fans, as sports fans, of not saying that this is, and mentioning that this is the third, I'm not going to call it anniversary, uh, but it was January 26, 2020, uh, when we had the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant and his daughter and their friends and her teammates on that helicopter that morning of January 26th, 2020. And as obviously lifelong Laker fans, it's not something you ever get over. He is and always will be sorely missed, but just to let uh, 24 and eight, we are thinking about you and we're thinking about his family. And uh, he gave us many, many years of thrills and enjoyment and was a role model for a lot of kids out there, a lot of kids who became NBA players and a lot of NBA superstars who still honor him. And Jason Tatum did tonight with his 24 purple armband and a loss to the Knicks that he always wears. And uh, he played the game the way we all want everybody to play it. And uh, he's missed every day by this Laker fan uh, who's got his mouse pad in his office. It has Kobe Bryant's inaction on it. 
because he's truly one of the greatest players of my lifetime and was a pretty cool dude and was, you know, going on to the second half of his life, which unfortunately he never got to enjoy with his family, which is one of the great tragedies of our lifetime. So RIP Kobe Bean Bryant. Absolutely. Still crazy. Never have been more numb for an athlete's passing than Kobe's. I don't think I've ever searched Twitter more fervently and exasperated trying to find any semblance of a person to say the story wasn't real and that it was misreported and that this is actually what happened or he's okay or he's here and never happened, unfortunately. And the outpouring of the NBA from that time period is... The rest of the world. The rest of the whole world is whole something world. that unfortunately only comes around at times like those, and it's not the norm. It's the exception to the rule, but you still hearken back to feeling what everybody felt then. And you just hope when you think about what happened to Kobe and Gianna and everybody else involved, when you have those moments of clarity of, I should really talk to my loved ones more, or I should do this, or I should do that, or I can't take life for granted. Well, three years later, remember what you were thinking then, because it shouldn't have changed. Crazy for the world of basketball, crazy as a Lakers fan, obviously somebody that you idolized growing up, and there's still times where stuff happens in the league, not only with the Lakers, but just moments, and you just think, damn, it's awful that Kobe's not here. I would have loved to have hear, heard what he'd have to say about this. I'd love to see him on the sidelines. I'd love to see love what he was doing off the court. Would, would love to just see him, period. You think Shannon Sharp chirping at the Grizzlies was something just, to see. Love, you know, don't think Kobe's going to be love, chirping at people? Would love to see him just, you know, courtside his, daughter, courtside his daughter's game. It was the best. And that's kind of the lasting moment we have of them because that was one of the last televised appearances they've had. And in a way that's, that's the best lasting moment. It's a great way to remember them. It absolutely is. Rest in peace as well. This came across tonight as we were recording this Billy Packer, the longtime college basketball analyst for NBC and CBS Raycom sports for ACC basketball, 34 final fours from 1975 to 2008. His voice is on some of the most iconic moments in college basketball history. He passed away at the age of 82. So unfortunately that's kind of the last gasp of that generations of announcers, Dick Enberg, Al McGuire, Billy Packer, just the voice of the sport. He was the last one left. And unfortunately that's another book that closes. They but put college basketball on the map as we know it. Now it was the prime of my life. It was, uh, you know, the late seventies when I was at Syracuse, uh, coach Al McGuire had won the national title with Marquette. He retired. He went into the booth with Dick Enberg and Billy Packer, who were already doing the game of the week in the final four for NBC. They became a must watch every week. The biggest news of the week was who got the national game with Enberg, 
Packer, and McGuire. We hung on every word. You know, the aircraft carrier, right? The, the last two minutes of the game, you got to hug your players. First 30, you can holler at your players. Find the dead spots in the floor. That's where I used to press. This one's a white knuckler. Dry spot in the uniform is your, is your socks. Bend down and touch them. Stay on the foul line if you made the free throw. Step off if you missed them. Don't touch my free throw shooter. Uh, I mean, we hung on every word. It was the gospel. He was like a god to us. He was the comic genius. Billy Packer was a straight man. Uh, Dick Enberg was was the lion tamer with the pith helmet and the whip, the classic tremendous announcer. They called not the greatest game, but you know one of the two most important games in the history of college basketball, uh, the Magic Bird title game when uh, Michigan State knocked off Larry Bird's undefeated Indiana State Sycamores. Uh, Packer, McGuire, Enberg. It was must-watch TV. They were incredibly entertaining. They called a great game. They were knowledgeable. They were frickin' frack, Laurel and Hardy, Martin and Lewis, you know, with a straight man, first-class all-time announcer in the middle. It was can't-miss television. You had college guys and gals all over the country waiting with with bated breath as to where they were going to be the following week. And TV sets all over the country in every college dorm were tuned into their game. When they came to your building, we lined up forever to wait in line to get in. It was must-see TV. It made, you know, he's the one who nicknamed the Final Four the Big Dance. He's the one who gave it the nickname. He's the one who was responsible for all those McGuire-isms. You know, uh, white knuckler, aircraft carrier. He, he, he was classic. He was comical. He, he had a passion for the game. Billy Packer was so knowledgeable, had so much experience. He was a great player in the ACC for Wake Forest. He, with Jim Thacker, became the voice of the ACC network, Thacker and Packer, the ACC tournament and the ACC game of the week. They really are the two former players and coaches, along with Dick Enberg, made the NCAA tournament what it is today in terms of the nation slash worldwide TV event. They started it all. And now they're all gone. Three great voices of my lifetime. Uh, They will be forever remembered and gave me memories that will last a lifetime in terms of enjoyment. Well said. Alice, always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, from my partner, the great John Tiny Lund, I am El Renato, AKL from White Plains. This, of course, has been the greatest sports podcast anytime, any place, anywhere. He's the new report. I am, as always, getting to be the old, not just old, but older report. Enjoy conference championship weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Take care, everybody. 
We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.